Welcome, folks. Great to have you here. You know, I first need to address a listener's question for me. Do I have a Facebook page? Well, <laughs> I used to. I just plain forgot about it and never went back. It may still exist, in which case I will use that as a base to field comments from you, my listeners, if you feel compelled to do so. Either way, it'd be nice hearing from you, and, and uh, I will let you know about my Facebook status and the upcoming episodes. So, mm-hmm. enough of said about that. Mm-hmm. Now, down to the business of the day. Once again, I'm blessed to have Sister Beverly and Brother Bob with me here in the studio once again. Once Welcome, again. friends. Thank once you. Again. So, thank you, PK. Yeah. How about this business of hypnotism? you're going to talk about. Yes. I I believe your childhood church would have frowned on that. Oh, frowned on that. They did. Uh, They thought of it as sort of playground for the devil. Kind of like the Ouija boards they warned us against. Anything that might open your mind and soul to the devil. You know. Cut your skin, and you might get an infection infection type of thing. Hypnotism was just another form of hocus pocus, something oh a Christian should never dabble in. What about the TM? Yeah, transcendental meditation. Oh God, no! (laughs) That was a satanic feeding ground as well. Man, GK. The fundamentalists aren't much for anything that relaxes our bodies. Now maybe I can see why. Well, the fundamentalists don't seem to be a a very relaxed bunch to me in the first place. Yeah, it's like they get too serious or paranoid looking at looking their face, almost as if they are on red alert because they immediately don't trust you. Too bad they couldn't just chill for a while. (laughs) Well, chill is what I do best. (laughs) Either way, it brings us back to my first and last experience, says, under the wicked spell of two different hypnotists, about 30 years apart. Well, maybe the 30 years interlude had something to do with how the second one turned out. I'm not sure. So, let's go find out what happened to our dear PK under hypnosis. Okay, you guys, I'm <laughs> heading out. Here we go. My fiancé's sense of humor had a whipping edge to it that cut a little deep sometimes, but maybe that is why I liked her. I liked her potatoes. That is to say, I liked the way she browned the skins. They made for a delicious eating experience. 
As I said, and I'm just saying. Well, anyway, her name was Charlotte. Char for short. She was a full-time registered nurse and offered to pay for a hypnotist to help me quit smoking. And the first time, it was very successful, as you'll see. Charlotte led the way up the shiny wooden stairs to the second floor apartments in a shady urban area of Rochester. It smelled like carpet cleaner mixed with the dark scent of cigar smoke as I padded softly and quietly along the corridor to the first door on the left. Char knocked lightly. The door swung open and she introduced herself. I stood close behind her. Then the young hypnotist shook my hand and introduced himself as he welcomed us and closed the door behind him. He showed us past the kitchen and bathroom, then into the living room. Spacious for an apartment. The early afternoon light had been dimmed by translucent shades fully drawn. A soft, warm light hovered above what appeared to be a Persian rug in the center of a finished wood floor. A large screen television perched about six feet away from where I was sitting in a very comfortable chair. I was getting excited. I had never been hypnotized before. The young hypnotist directed my attention to a small, bright object he suspended before me. I don't think he ever swung it like a pendulum as I had anticipated. He just asked me to focus on this object. Then muscle by muscle, I slunk into deep relaxation as he softly intoned his directives. Next thing, I remember him lighting a cigarette. I knew then he had to be over the age of 18 to purchase cigarettes in New York State. And then waving it under my nose as he droned, remember, if someone offers you a cigarette, you say, I used to smoke but now I don't. Before long, he walked me up the cushy velvet stairs, starting on the count of ten, step by step, down to one. After he got to one, he asked me to very gradually open my eyes. As the room came slowly back into focus, my attention was glued to the big TV screen full of fauna drifting across the Serengeti Plains. It was like Noah's Ark had recently landed there and all the animals flooded out of the cargo holes. I sat there entranced for about five minutes. Then he told me I was welcome to get up. As I stood to my feet, he admitted Char into the soft glowing living room. She paid the bill. I wondered if I seemed to be different to her. I felt like a changed man, 
As we exited the apartment space, down the shiny brown stairs, and out into the bright summer sun, I was humming to myself, I used to smoke, but now I don't. I used to smoke, but now I don't. I used to smoke, but now I don't. And you know what? For the next year, I worked full time in a southern rock band around the western New York area. Smoking was loud in all the music joints back then, and there was a lot of it, a lot of smoke. During that year, I never smoked one cigarette. The hypnotherapy worked. Now, folks, as a preacher's kid, why do I relate this episode in my futile history of quitting cigarettes, then resuming the habit once again, quitting, then relapsing, relapsing, then quitting? Well, for one, my particular brand of religion forbade the practice of suspending one's mind in a hypnotic state. The reasoning going that, when one is in that state of mind, which is wide open to the control of the pagan hypnotist, that one is susceptible to the wiles of the devil. I believe the same reasoning was applied to the usage of drugs. It suspends your mind in a dangerous space where the devil can freely come and make love to your soul. As I perused my comics, I pondered the little ads on the smelly inked back pages. I think that's when I first became intrigued with this strange idea of hypnotism. If I could learn how to hypnotize, I could make others do what I directed them to do. I like that idea, folks. And attenuated to that idea was my longing to be hypnotized so I could perform supernatural feats. As a young Christian, I was fascinated with the supernatural, yet terribly afraid of it. But hypnotism to stop a bad habit? Why not? Where's the devil in that? I once heard during a monthly teacher's meeting a speaker advocate for use of meditative techniques and practices with young people. Not long into his presentation, one of the elder faculty members, who also served as an elder in a local fundamentalist church, interjected sharply that those type of practices actually take place, actually place anybody in a very vulnerable position. His head was shaped like a tight-skinned white potato with no hair on top. His voice even quavered a bit. The rest of the faculty fell into a silence that assured the speaker they were deeply embarrassed by their colleague. Thankfully, the speaker was professional enough not to lash back waited for the angry potato head to finish his tirade, then continued the presentation. 
So I'm not sure if Potato Head had any inkling of an idea what the ideal state of mind would be. Probably I would have been delighted to see him fumble and side-talk to that question. He scrawled a new Bible verse on an upper corner of his classroom chalkboard each week. He was the same classroom high school teacher who stood during an open house night, greeted the parents of his students at the door to his classroom, dressed in overalls, and black-faced. He looked so stupid with an insipid grin on his face, thinking that he was playfully amusing his classroom visitors. The idea was that he was teaching a unit on slavery, thus the dreadful mockery. I wondered what state of mind he was in that evening. Goofy, to say the least. Well, meditation is kind of like hypnosis, I admit. When I had undergone the hypnotist spell, I could hear clearly the words being spoken, or in one case, being read, to me as I reclined in a comfy chair. I knew what was going on outside of me and was searching to find what was going on inside of me. Now, if the hypnotist said that Satan was commanding me to run nude down the city streets of Rochester, I would have laughed myself out of the trance. Thirty years later, folks, I was smoking cigarettes like a chimney again. I solicited the services of a hypnotist recommended by my therapist for smoking cessation. It worked the first time, 30 years ago. Why wouldn't it work this time? My new hypnotist was an older woman who reminded me of Indira Gandhi. She was stout and distinguished. Her accent was thick, but her English was distinct and clear, easy to understand. I felt like I was in the hands of an experienced expert. The first $100 session was a get acquainted time. I filled out questionnaires and she asked me some questions based on those. She outlined the points of smoking cessation therapy and hypnosis. She asked me next to sit at this table and concentrate on this pendant that slowly circled around which she held. I focused as it slowly, very slowly, circled clockwise. She then asked me to focus even more and then will it to begin circling in the opposite direction, which I did, and it slowed gradually as it shifted slowly into the opposite direction. Upon such evidence, she declared that I would be a very good candidate for hypnosis. I left the office after that session with my hopes raised.
Anxious to get the ball rolling, I returned for my second session. She first supplied me with stapled Xerox copies of motivational and informative articles about smoking. Then I sank into a comfy recliner chair and the hypnosis began. After going through a prescribed relaxation regimen from head to toe, my eyes closed and Indira counted me down in my imagination a flight of plush carpeted stairs. I had reached a deep meditative state, but I wasn't so sure it was hypnotic because of the quirky imagery path she took me on. She told me I was passing by a hospital room with sad friends and family visiting me. Some were crying. Something about the persuasive appeal of pathos in that scene was repugnant to me. It seemed too calculated for my taste, almost as if she was reading it. She babbled on. One of my dear friends didn't like for me to hold her baby because I smelled like a cigarette smoke. You know, the secondary smoke thing. Suddenly, by this point, I realized that Indira was indeed reading from a script. An alarm sounded dimly in the back of my head. She was reading me on to my funeral and people were weeping there. They were so sad. I now was beginning to lose my connection to everything she was saying because I realized in my hypnotic state that she was reading it. She was reading a script that had probably gotten from a used textbook somewhere. Her voice babbled like a rushing stream. She was reading that fast. I kind of liked the sound of her voice babbling musically like a stream, but the words were rushed and the emotion with which she read seemed forced which distracted me in my deep state of relaxation. Before I knew it, she was counting my way back up that lushly carpeted staircase. She commented on how I was in a deep trance. Yep, I said. She handed me a new batch of Xerox copies. I wrote out a check for $100, then left feeling refreshed. But you know what, folks? I never returned. I had received the impression that Indira, the hypnotist, became a hypnotist by going to a couple of workshops and then getting some certificate of practice. I kind of felt embarrassed for her because all she had to do is learn to read the scripts. Anyone in that case could become a hypnotist, just like the ads said in the back of the old comic books. And you know what, folks? I ain't a gonna lie. I just kept on smoking like a chimney. Ah, oh, sorry. 
PK about that second oh. session. Oh. No, it sounded like a waste of good money know. and time to yeah. me. Yeah. It was, and yeah, maybe. thanks, Sister oh. Beverly. I actually well, left that uh, session and felt like it was somehow my fault no, 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 for the hypnosis no, not no, working no. like it did 30 years ago, you know? Right. I mean, I'm looking like I'm in a deep trance to the therapist, Indira, <laughs> and having this thought process going that maybe she was not the expert I thought she was. Well, PK, I'm thinking she was not. Oh, okay. Probably she switched over from being, oh, an addictions counselor mm. in an institutional <laughs> setting somewhere yeah, yeah, yeah. to working for herself as a hypnotic therapist yeah. instead. Yeah, I can she see was... Hypnotic, all right. <laughs> At least she put you into a deep state of relaxation. Relaxation. Yes, she did. Yeah. A little relaxation in the therapist's couch doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> However, the fact that she was reading the script oh, disturbed you yeah, somehow. It did. Although she milked the pathos out of those scenes in the hospital and at the funeral mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> she fell short in the ethos department <laughs> i'd say well i believe she meant well she did display a passion for the welfare of her clients yeah as far as i can tell yeah i can tell you that other than that... Hey, at least you were a good candidate for hypnosis. <laughs> and you are good for a hundred dollars per session. Oh, yeah. I did feel like an idiot for a while after that. I suppose. So, she yeah. was merely an amateur and not the expert as you, you first thought. Yep. There you go. Yep. I now realize that that was the case. Oh, speaking of which, Sister Beverly... It's that time, uh -oh. PK. <laughs> yep. I was just a lad trying to find his way. Bang that button, sister. You got it. May we all find our way. So sweet to be here with everybody again, and and thanks for listening, folks. Next time. <laughs>